Japan as we know today is the world's third largest economy with a 5 trillion dollar GDP. With its ability to adapt to every unfavorable situation with ease, it has earned a reputation of being a magic economy. But this economy also went through a rough phase which tested its might. Also known as the lost decade, this time saw an extremely destructive asset bubble which left Japan in a decade-long recession and crippled its economy very hard. Hello everyone, I am your host Sejal Babel and thanks for tuning in to what actually happened. Today in this episode, we will understand the events that led to this asset bubble burst and how Japan dealt with its first failure after the World War II. We're going to talk about this crisis in three phases. Let's start with phase 1. as it is also called the miracle economy of japan japan's economy was devastated during world war 2 it lost around 5% of its population and the material loss was nearly 25% of national wealth industrial production after the war dropped to 1/10 of its pre-war levels productivity was low and poverty was widespread hence a common purpose shared by the government businesses and people was to catch up with the industrial economies of america and europe they started from ground zero only to go up the ladder japan adopted a competition restrictive approach in reviving its economy that is they implemented policies such as import licensing tariff protection and foreign investment limits to support local industries they massively invested their resources in technology development and research to achieve this goal of being self-reliant and globally competitive let's understand in a little detail how japan went on to become one of the biggest economies in the 1960s and 1970s boosting industrialization domestic companies were shielded from outside competition The government facilitated the early development of nearly all major industries by providing them protection from import competition with the help of tariffs, assisting local firms with technological intelligence, helping in licensing foreign technology and facilitating easy mergers. This helped in the local companies acquire market shares very quickly. This was the time when giant conglomerates like Mitsubishi Motors, Toyota, Honda, Sony and Hitachi were formed who ended up sweeping a big chunk of the world market towards them. Nearly every electronic products industry including the video games market was held by Japanese firms. The Japanese automobiles gave stiff competition to the western companies. Besides the quality, the reason for this success was innovation. low value of yen after the world war 2 the yen was pegged to dollar at a much lower rate because japan at that time was considered a poor economy but this low value of yen compared to the dollar helped in increasing exports that is because when the value of yen is lower you can now buy more of japanese goods for the same number of dollars Let's understand this with a simple example. Suppose 1 US dollar is equal to 100 yen. So good costing 300 yen could be purchased with 3 US dollars in the international market. 
if the value of yen now decreases to around 1 US dollar equal to 150 yen then the same good can now be purchased at 2 US dollars in the international market this low value of yen made japanese goods very cheap internationally this was supplemented by the good quality innovative japanese products which were made using new technologies and a constant focus on improving the current ones to give you an example when oil prices increased in the 1960s the demand for fuel efficient cars increased japanese companies like honda and nissan were the only companies producing and selling these cars at a competitive price therefore huge exports led to a large trade surplus in japan a trade surplus is what occurs when a country's exports exceed its imports for a given period of time there are more goods and services going out of the country than coming in as a result other countries owe more to the country than it owes those countries With this trade surplus the Japanese economy was booming the exports were rising and this led to the creation of more employment opportunities within Japan Robust corporate culture A robust corporate culture was built on cross shareholdings among businesses which helped in stable growth of these industries. Cross holding is a situation in which one publicly traded corporation owns stock in another publicly traded corporation. So technically the listed corporations own securities issued by other listed corporations. This system in Japan was called the Keiretsu system. In general, a Keiretsu is a group of independent companies. Uh, they share a single corporate governance structure in the sense that they have a a meeting of the presidents of each of the top companies in a group and the, maybe once a month all the presidents will get together in what's called a shachokai and they have very often cross shareholdings, not the way they used to, but used, they traditionally have shareholdings of each other's shares. Um the uh, the big horizontal kaidetsu always have a bank in the middle of this group mm-hmm. and so they're very connected through uh, economic connections as well as interlocking directorships so their personal relationships right. between the companies and that means it's more than just a uh, sort of happenstance collection of companies it becomes a real corporate group all in all this system helped in insulating each company from stock market fluctuations and takeover attempts thus enabling long term planning in projects with all these factors tokyo became a major financial center with home to some of the world's major banks financial firms insurance companies and the world's largest stock exchange at that time the tokyo securities and stock exchange the gross domestic product per capita that is income per person as a share of the total gdp of the country exceeded that of many western industrialized countries this made japan the second largest economy after the usa by 1973 the gdp growth rate in japan was 95% that of britain and 69% that of united states with strong determination and ambition japan left no stone unturned to achieve economic victory and become the miracle economy but miracles don't last for long do they Things changed drastically after the Plaza Accord of 1988 which leads us to phase 2 the run up to the bubble.
phase 2 starts with a recession in the United States in 1970s. The US complained regarding the imbalance in the exchange rate between the yen and the dollar since most of the Japanese products imported in the US had higher quality and cheaper prices than the domestic products. As I told you earlier, Japan dominated the international market by giving stiff competition to the US industries. The automobile sector especially in US was facing huge losses due to the high value of dollar against yen. It was almost 35 years since the exchange rate was revalued after the initial pegging and there was a consensus in the United States that the Japanese currency was undervalued which made the competition biased. A currency is considered undervalued when its value in foreign exchange market is less than it should be based on the economic conditions prevailing. On the other hand, the dollar became very strong due to a tight monetary policy that is reducing the supply of dollars in an attempt to control inflation in the United States. Between 1980 and 1985, the dollar had appreciated about 50% against the Japanese yen. This led to a trade deficit of the US with Japan and US ending up with a huge current account deficit. A trade deficit occurs when a country's imports exceed its exports for a given period of time. This means there is more coming into the country, being bought, than there is going out, being sold. As a result, the country owes more to other countries than is owed to it. To finance its trade deficit, now the US needed more yen. Japan had to buy United States bonds and other debt instruments from their trade surpluses to provide yen to the US to finance US's current account deficits. This was often done at the expense of their own economies. When this deficit was becoming unsustainable, US decided to depreciate dollar to boost its export and earn foreign exchange. So in 1985 the G5 countries that is West Germany, France, the United States, Japan and the United Kingdom signed an agreement called the Plaza Accord. The main aim of the accord was to depreciate the US dollar in relation to the yen and German currency. Accordingly, the agreement triggered an exceptionally large appreciation of the yen. When in 1985 the exchange rate of yen per dollar was 238 it dropped to 165 yen per dollar in 1986 obviously due to the increase in the value of yen exports suffered the japanese companies had to now sell their products in the united states at a higher price than before to make profits This impacted exports in Japan significantly almost reducing them by 50% till 1991. Appreciation in the yen accelerated more than expected. This was because foreign exchange speculators purchased yen and sold dollar as yen was increasing in value and dollar decreasing. This rise in demand for yen further appreciated it. This shook the economy in Japan because the main source of economic growth in Japan was its export surplus. The GDP growth rate dropped from 6.3% in 1985 to 2.8% in 1986, and Japan experienced a recession which was famously called the Endaka recession. Endaka is a Japanese term which means a state in which the value of Japanese yen is very high compared to other currencies. 
Since the economy of Japan was highly dependent on exports, it went into this recession. This had major consequences which leads us to phase 3, the era of lost decade. With the accord in place, the yen was increasing day by day. Domestic pressure from businesses rose as they were suffering huge losses. Finally, the government adopted an expansionary monetary policy. It is an economic phenomena where the central banks reduce interest rates and increase the money supply to boost economic activity. Low interest rates stimulate investment and more money in the economy helps in increasing demand for output. As a result, the interest rates fell from 5% to 2% in 1988. Debt taken by the private sector expanded, which was a result of the deregulations made in the banking sector. This is when things started to go wrong for the first time in the Japanese economy. Let's talk about some of the major blunders that took place. appreciation in land and other asset prices by the early 1980s tokyo was an important commercial city due to a high concentration of international financial corporations and interests the demand for office space continued to soar as more economic activities flooded tokyo this resulted in demand for land outstripping the supply The government policies were designed to solely concentrate its economic activities in Tokyo to make it the financial hub of the world. By 1985, land within Tokyo was unable to fulfill the market demand. As a result, land prices in Tokyo commercial districts increased sharply within a year. To give you an idea of the extent to which the prices started rising, here's an interesting fact. Real estate prices experienced in Tokyo's prime neighborhoods rose to levels that made them 350 times more expensive than comparable land in Manhattan. The land underneath the Tokyo Imperial Palace was rumored to have been worth as much as the entire state of California. By 1991, commercial land prices in Tokyo rose by 302%. The prices of stocks started to rise. From 1985 to 1989, Japan's Nikkei Stock Index tripled to 39,000 points and accounted for more than one third of the world's stock market capitalization. This was because the stock prices in Japan were largely determined by the asset market, particularly land prices. How? A company that owned land rose in value as the land prices increased. This, in turn, moved up the stock prices of those companies. The higher stock price enabled the companies to get fresh capital by issuing new shares in order to purchase land and buildings. Lower interest rates meant lower borrowing costs. Companies therefore had greater incentive to expand operations. A business expansion is a sign of healthy operations and a positive outlook on future demand which caused the stock prices to rise. This circle continued where the stock prices determine the land prices and the land prices determine the stock prices. Aggressive behavior of banks. Earlier, restrictions were placed by the government on raising funds in the securities market. These were removed from around 1980. This was majorly done because the listed companies were very strong and the Japanese stock market started gaining global acclaim. 
Now, the banks became very concerned that major firms would become less dependent on them for funding and prefer raising money in the capital market. The deregulation of interest rates as an outcome of the expansionary monetary policy forced banks to pursue aggressive lending of loans to small firms who had high default ratings. As land prices started to rise, giving loans with land as collateral became less risky as even on default of such loans, confiscating land and selling it would be very profitable. Taxation and Regulations The taxation and regulations on land were biased towards accelerating the land prices. The tax rates were relatively low on holding the land but heavy on land transactions. When a rise in land prices is anticipated, the light tax burden on holding the land has the effect of increasing the incentive to continue holding it which suppresses the supply of land. Heavy tax burden was placed on transaction gains on land creating an incentive for people who own the land to delay selling it for as long as possible. Overconfidence and euphoria The greater role of Japan in international financial markets and the large-scale takeovers of foreign companies by the Japanese firms gave them the feeling of becoming the greatest economy. Japanese firms were leading the world in manufacturing, technology, and the success of Japanese-style management. This made Japan think that it could sustain such high growth without any risk. Such low interest rates continued to persist and eventually gave rise to the formation of the bubble. The bubble? A bubble forms when prices grow beyond their true value. Bubbles can develop in economies, securities, stock markets, housing markets and other sectors whenever a change in how business is conducted causes investors to eagerly pursue profits beyond a reasonable hope of return. Bubbles continue to grow until investors realize that prices have risen far above what they should be. At that point, the bubble pops and prices sink to a more realistic level. In around 1987, the Bank of Japan saw that the economy is growing at a rate which would not be sustainable in the future. Banks were overleveraged, the land prices reached its peak and could not grow anymore, and the stock prices were increasing at a dangerously high pace. The bubble had formed ready to burst any time finally the bank of japan took the first concrete step to change its monetary easing stance at the end of august in 1987 when it began guiding the market interest rates to a higher level by increasing the official's discount rate the discount rate or as we know the repo rate in india is the rate at which commercial banks borrow from the central bank When the government wants to decrease money supply to reduce the credit culture in the economy it increases the discount rate but this was done rather sharply than gradually and therefore caused the bursting of the bubble and the japanese stock market crashed falling to 21000 points from 37000 points in just one day equity and land prices fell drastically leaving overleveraged japanese banks and insurance companies to incur huge losses due to the accumulation of bad loans as most of the banks gave huge loans backed by property and now that the price of the property was falling it made the value of assets kept by the banks as collateral fall 
under the Kiretsu system, a significant portion consisted of shares in other firms from another big company. So when real estate and share prices collapsed in one company, it reduced the value of the other companies and decreased their share prices simultaneously. At this time, the Japanese government was totally aware that their economy was in huge danger and loss. Yet, it kept delaying its action. Whether it's a vehicle or an economy, when you press the brake suddenly, a strong jerk is bound to occur. The financial institutions were bailed out through the capital infusions from the government, loans and cheap credit from the central bank and the ability to postpone the recognition of losses, ultimately turning the banks into zombie banks. Zombie banks are financial institutions that continue to operate despite a negative net worth. Zombie banks are essentially bankrupt but are able to ignore that fact thanks to government bailouts or regulatory loopholes. In the normal process, a bank running at a significant loss will eventually be forced into bankruptcy. Then its assets will be sold off to pay down as many debts as possible. However, when a bank is allowed to go on operating, even though its books indicate it is dead, there are negative consequences. First, the assets that the zombie bank controls aren't sold, meaning they continue to feed a rotting corporation rather than adding strength to a healthy one. Second, investors' capital continues to be tied up in the bank, meaning that they can't invest it elsewhere. The prevalence of zombie banks gave rise to the lost decade. This was an era of low GDP growth and a stagnant economy which continued in Japan till early 2000s. After that, no matter what policies the Japanese government tried, but it seemed that the Japan's economy was stubborn and becoming unresponsive. Japanese lost trust in banks and they were keeping their money with themselves rather than putting it in the bank as they thought that these banks were unstable. Government invested in welfare programs like building dams, bridges and other public goods to create new jobs and pump money into the economy. But it just had a short-term effect. The policies of the Japanese government proved to be highly ineffective. An economy that was known to do everything right also made irreversible mistakes. But guess what? You can't improve without making mistakes. On that note, it's a wrap. I hope you liked this episode and until next time, have a nice day.